my vanity, but we get requests for the messages for folks that miss it, so I sometimes forget to turn that thing on so it can go up on the website. But anyway, uh, this passage now is long. Uh, it's Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 5, 1 through 20. And it could be taken over the course of weeks um, to, to break this out, but I wanted to do it in one big picture, one global picture, um, because I think it's really powerful. And just as a little bit of background, over the last few weeks we've seen this one day in the life of Christ. And what, what has happened through three or four chapters in, in Mark was in a day. Uh, we saw the parables, uh, uh, the twelve were chosen, the parable of the sower and soils, the explanation about that, parable of the seeds, parable of mustard seed, Jesus stilling the sea, all in one day. Jesus is exhausted at the end of this day, and nighttime comes. That's important to remember. It's at the end of the day, it's dark, it's night, <coughs> goes out on a boat, Falls asleep at the boat, at the front of the boat. Everybody in the boat panics. They get the fishermen that know all about the boats to wake a carpenter to see what to do. Makes no sense. Jesus gets up and he tells the storm to shut up. That's the Greek text. Shut up. Muzzle it. Stop. And it doesn't gradually stop. We saw last week it stopped. And it was glass. And it was dark. And they went to the other side. From the, the northwest corner of the lake to the southeast corner of the lake, about eight, ten miles across, and a glassy, soft, gentle, going into shore. And he gets over there, verse 5 starts in. And they came back to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. He got out of the boat immediately. A man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, day and night, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I implore you, by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What's your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out of the unclean spirits, they entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them. And they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it to the city and in the country. And the, all the people came out to see what was happening. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had, been, had the legion and become <coughs> frightened. Those who had seen it described to him 
how it had happened. And the demon-possessed man and all the swine. And they began to implore him, leave this region. He was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. That's a lot of words that we got to cover. What we have to see in this picture is this guy was what we would say at rock bottom. He's not someone that we would invite over to the Thanksgiving meal we're going to enjoy in a couple weeks. He was tormented. He was he lived in tombs. He was naked. He cut himself with flint day and night. He lived a life of blood and scabs and shackles and, and humiliation. And what happened? He had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I was thinking this morning in that study. The most vile person on the planet Earth, if they have that encounter with Jesus Christ, they are no longer that. They are a new creation, a new creatures in Christ Jesus. That applies to all of us. That applies to, in our family, we, I don't have anybody in my family that's anywhere close to that vile. I don't have anybody in my family that's this crazy. But I've got people in my family that drive me nuts. Right? But they're not outside the reach of Jesus Christ. There's people in this community here. They walk, I see them every, because I got the vantage point. I see them, they walk by and they look in and they keep walking. They're in that same boat. They need to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. They need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they might be excluding themselves from this congregation thinking, I've done the unpardonable sin. And we covered that before. What we saw in the Sunday school class this morning, the, the burning of babies and putting them in little tins and putting those tins in the ground and building, it was 60,000 square feet of, of little jars of baby remains that they found over the, in some archaeological dig. Those folks, if they turn to Christ, will be saved. We see, we, we see the people going in for abortions. And, and they come out and they think, there might be some sort of regret. Or they're, they're saddened, but I can't go back to church now. Oh, yes, they can. And those moms that have had abortions, that are, that are torn up 10, 20, 30, 50 years later, they are loved by the Savior. We as a church engulf them with love. There's no sin outside the reach of Jesus Christ that he can't save. And if you're carrying a sin, a, a pain, a hurt from years gone by, it doesn't have to be abortion. It could be something else. Some sin that's got you so tangled up. My prayer as a pastor is to see this. See this text that we're going to look at and understand there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is salvation in Jesus Christ. And there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. They came to the other side of the sea. It was dark. It was night. Spooky. And it was the area of the garrisons. When he got out of the boat, immediately, Mark uses this immediately 36 times. He's a fast talker, fast listener. Just go. Immediately. He says, he got out of the boat, and immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. This unclean spirit in this man saw Jesus coming across, and he wanted to go down and confront him. People were afraid of this guy. In the text, we can see that if they went out at night, 
And they had to get to point A to point B to go by these tombs. They would go by some other way. They didn't want to go near this guy because they couldn't contain him. And just think about the men in the village. Let's say there's 100, 200 men in the village. And whatever, they couldn't contain him. The shackles couldn't hold him. The chains kept breaking. This guy was powerful. And I just picture going across the boat with Christ calming the sea and the, the, the disciples are, man, that's great. That's great. And we get to the other side and they see this naked, bloody man coming down to get them in the dark. I would have been scared to death. And he had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore. They've tried and they've tried and they tried even with chains, the text says. Powerful man. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him and he's running towards the fishermen. The fright and the fear that must have been in their hearts. Constantly, day and night, he, this demoniac, he was screaming among the tombs. Imagine the dark. You hear some guy up there screaming and yelling? Loud. Day and night he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with sharp stones. He was cutting himself. We have people do that today. There's a, a form of self-mutilation because they don't have enough worth. They think they don't have enough worth within them. This guy, same thing. All the cutting... All the bleeding, all the, the mess isn't going to cover up for what the problem is with this guy. It's inside him. It's in his heart. It's, it's, it's him inside that has to be cured. He can stop the cutting and the he, it'll heal. The scabs will fall away. But it's within your heart that Jesus reaches in to heal. And he does it in this text. So seeing Jesus from a distance... He ran up and he bowed down before him. This is a, a form of reverence and, and homage and of submission. This isn't a form of worship. But I think Martin in the King James it says worship. The word here is reverence. He, he knew in the power structure where he was and where Christ was. He ran down and he bowed down before Christ in a form of submission. This guy that had 6,000 demons in him. Legion, that's what 6,000 Roman troops were, a legion. Comes down, confronts Christ, and he bows down knowing we got problems. I'm coming face to face with the, the Messiah. I'm coming face to face with the Lord. I'm going to bow down, and then I'm going to tell him where I am. And he was shouting with that loud voice, the one that was up in the tombs and up in the mountains. And he said to him, he said to Jesus, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, remember that condescending uh, chapter in verse, uh, chapter one, when they, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they, they saw Christ and they had that same condescension towards him. What do you have with us, Jesus? Why are you bothering me, Jesus? Why are you messing up what I've got going, Jesus? The condescension towards the Lord is here. And I love this too because this shows the humanity of Christ and the, 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 the Godhood of Christ. What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High 
of God. He knew Jesus the man by name, and he knows that Jesus is the Most High Son of God. Yet, he still is going after Jesus. He's not in fear and going the other way. He says, I'm going to confront you naked and torn up and bloody and screaming. I know who you are, and I'm not afraid. That's pretty frightening. That's pretty frightening. The spirits know Christ. James 1 head says that. They, they know Him, and they fear Him. <coughs> There's not much fear here. We'll see in the text, though, what He is afraid of. And He shouted in a loud voice. He said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God. Do not torment me. This man is tormented. And he's telling Christ, the, the one that can save him, don't torment me. He's, Jesus is threatening this guy's life. He's comfortable in his sin. He's comfortable in the shackles. He's comfortable in the tombs. We don't get that. He's, he's comfortable in his sin. He says, don't torment me. Leave me alone. Let me, let me wallow in my mess. And there's so many people that do that today, that, the ones that walk by. They wallow in their mess. <coughs> They're afraid to come in. They don't want to be confronted by the Lord. Don't torment me. Don't, you have control of my very existence. Leave me alone. And then Mark jumps in here with verse 8. This is kind of just... He tells us why the demon is saying this. For he had been saying to him, Christ had been saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. That's why he's so upset at this point. Verse 9. And he was asking him, Jesus was asking him, What's your name? And he said to him, <coughs> Watch this. My name is Legion, for we are many. My name, first person singular, him. My name is legion, and we are many. I am legion, and I have a thousand, six thousand demons in me. That's me. I'm defining myself by what's in me. Those demons. Now, I often think of this too when we we have communion, and you know the, the pastor says, "Don't take the cup unworthily." And how many times people think, I, "I'm not worthy enough to take the cup." That's not the case. They think about their worth coming to the communion table. Same here. I, my name, is Legion, and within me, we are many. And he, the demoniac, began to implore him earnestly to send them, not to send them out of the country, the area or the region that we're in. Uh, Luke 8.31, he calls it the abyss. He says, the, the demons know what's going to happen to them at the end. Revelation 20. This is what the demons know, and this is what he was talking about right here. Revelation 20. And this is the passage where Satan's bound. <laughs> this is where, when Christ, the King, returns and binds Satan. Verse twenty or chapter twenty, verse one. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the keys of the abyss and the great chains in his hand. This guy was living in the abyss, in the tombs. He had seen the chains, and he knows what's going to happen. And he laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound them for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss and shut it and seal it over so that it would not be deceived but with any nations any longer until thousands of years were completed after these things he must be released for a short time 
the demons in Mark 5 knew what was going to happen in Revelation 20, and they didn't want to do it right now. They had things to do. For he had been saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly. Jesus earnestly being implored, Do not send us out of this country into the abyss. Our time is not at hand. We've got lots to do. We've got lots of trouble to cause. We've got lots of turmoil to put in people's lives. All 6,000 of us. Don't do it. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountains. Interesting. They're on the Gentile side of the lake. Why were there so many pigs when the Jews couldn't eat? The Jews couldn't touch the pigs. The Jews couldn't eat the pigs. But there was a lot of, there was 2,000 of them. Why? Because there were some in that community on the Jewish side of the lake that enjoyed pork. But they are not going to touch it. They understand Leviticus. We can't touch it. We can't eat it. We can sneak out at night. We can get some. That's what, that's what that was all about. So when Jesus sent these, uh, the spirits into the swine, Think of the ripple effect. Who was affected? Well, the swine were affected. They all drowned. The herdsmen, or in the original text, the pig feeders, they were affected. Their livelihood was gone. The guys who were selling the pork on the black market to the guys on the other side of the lake are in trouble. They don't have any job now. Now, there was a great, large, herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, Christ, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. We don't want to be in the abyss. Just send us in the swine. Let us be in the pigs. They didn't see what was going to happen. They're not omnipresent. They thought, well, if Jesus won't let me be in this man, maybe he'll let me go into these 2,000 pigs and I'll cause havoc from the pigs. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, of the, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep banks to the sea. About two thousand of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Why? Why would Jesus kill two thousand pigs? What purpose does that serve? Because that one man, that one demon-possessed man is worth more than 2,000 pigs. As bad as this guy was, Jesus saw his worth. He's worth something. I'm here to save you, demon-possessed man. And he gave permission for those spirits to come out. And I, I don't know what it looked like, but I just picture in my mind a Hollywood thing about these demons coming out of this guy's mouth, one after the other, 6,000 of them, and rushing down in a swirl and into the pigs. That's... Not in the text. That's just how I pictured it. And there was 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Verse 14. Their herdsmen, or their pig feeders in the original, ran away and reported in the city and in the country, and all the people came to see what it was that had happened. The pig feeders went into town and said, Hey! This guy just killed all our pigs. We saw the demons coming out of this man. 
Come out and see the show. And that happens so often nowadays too. Come out and see the show. And they came. They came to Jesus and they observed the man. Okay, this, this verse 15. Get a hold of this one. They, the pig feeders, the people in the village, all the businessmen, they came out to see Jesus. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been past tense. He had been demon-possessed. He had been bound with shackles, bound with pain, cut and bleeding and screaming. They saw him. He was sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. <laughs> this man is now calmly sitting on a fence, fully clothed, in his right mind. This very man who had been the legion, and he, they became frightened. They, they weren't frightened that the pigs went in the water. They weren't frightened that Jesus saved this gentleman. They were frightened because this demon-possessed man now is no longer. He's calm. He's got his right mind. Jesus Christ restored him. Restored him fully. Where'd the clothes come from? I don't know. Like, who counted the fish? I don't know. I just thought of that. <coughs> Somebody gave this man that they were afraid of a robe to wrap himself up. I wonder if people put salve on his cuts and his wounds. I don't know. But he, I know that one thing. This man is a changed man. He is a changed man. He's no longer what he was. And that's so true for us. For that, that sin that so easily tangles us up, we are not that sin. We are not... We, that, that, that thing that racks us so tight, we aren't that. We've experienced that. We live in that. We, we have experienced things in life that, that we remember that we don't like. But that does not define us. What defines us is that we are now a new creation in Jesus Christ. No longer bound by that stuff. And as I've told you guys many times, you commit a sin, you pay the penalty, you go to jail, whatever it happens, that's, that's a fact. You can't change that. But you are not that any longer. You are a new person in Jesus Christ. And you're going to remember some of those things. They're going to come up every once in a while. It's one of those demons gnawing at you and saying, Hey, Mr. Pastor up there, remember? Oh yeah, I remember. But I don't live there. I don't live there anymore. I'm not at that address anymore. And they came and they observed this man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all the swine. Listen, guys, come out and see the show. See this guy, what he did, and what he did to the pigs. They're ready to attack. And they began, this is something else. Verse 17. And they, the crowd, the pig feeders, come out to see Jesus. And they began to implore him to leave. We've seen the miracles. We've seen the, the storm come. We've heard the parables. We've seen what you've, did, what you've done for this man. I would think, stay. We got a lot of problems back in the village. Stay and help us with those problems. We got people back there that are sick. Stay. But no, they said, get out. 
You're disrupting things, Jesus. I'm comfortable, Jesus. People walk by. They're comfortable. Every Sunday I see them. Great couple sitting out there, four of them. They have their coffee every Sunday morning. When they're not here, I worry about them. Every Sunday morning, it's the same thing. Good morning, Pastor. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. How are you? You going to join us today? No, not today, sir. We get comfortable. I guess especially in our age group, we just became empty nesters, and it's a hoot. She's not so hooty about it, but I... (laughs) I kind of dig it. It's only been a month, but... But, you know, in our, in our age bracket, you know, whatever we are in this age bracket, we get comfortable at this stage of life sometimes. You know, we've worked hard. We're putting away a few bucks. I don't have to worry really about the rent so much anymore. You know, made some good investments. I'll go to church another time. That's what I see and my heart breaks. Comfortable people, nice people, great people, friendly people. Every Sunday, good morning, Pastor, how are you? They don't care. They're comfortable. We can get too comfortable. We're here every Sunday, or we're, you know, when we're back in town, or we're at church somewhere else. We miss a couple days here or there. Not, that, that's not the, the issue. But sometimes we can get comfortable too, and be comfortable Christians, and not be offended when we see a baby sacrifice on the hands of an altar, or when we know that there's saline being poured into a mother's womb. Somebody else can march. Somebody else can protest. Somebody else can do something about it. I'm not preaching. I'm saying we get comfortable sometimes and we should not to get comfortable. This country is turning. And it's, this isn't a political statement, but this country is turning in such a way that 10, 20, 30 years from now, what are our children going to do left with? Because we're comfortable. I don't want to write a letter to my congressman because they don't read them anyway. Write a letter. Whether you're pro or con, that's not the point of this. The point of this is you have a voice. And if not for you, for your children. And if not for your children, your grandkids. Use your voice. And whatever the issue. So they tell him, Jesus, don't stay to help us. They began to implore him. Strong word, implore. Begging him. Get out of here. Leave our region. As he was getting into the boat, So Jesus says, I'm leaving. He gets back in the boat. And the man who had been demon-possessed, the guy that's now clothed, the guy that's in his right mind, he comes to him and he implores him, begging Jesus that he might accompany him. I don't want to stay in the squalor where I've been. I don't want to live in the tombs any longer. I'm I'm not going to be welcomed back into this community. They'll remember how bad I was. Jesus, take me with you. What do we see here? Verse 19. And he said, Jesus, he did not let him. Jesus saved him, and Jesus restored him fully, and Jesus said, no, I'm not taking you with me. But he said to him, instead of that, he said to him, go home. Go back to where everybody knows what you were like. Go back into your community where they know they're they're frightened to see you coming. Go back there. Go home to your people, verse 19, and report to them. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Christians, 
Go back home. Tell your family. Tell your friends. Tell your community what the good things the Lord has done for you. There's certainly things in your life that would qualify for that. You're saved. You still got breath in your lungs. Go tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He, Christ, had mercy on you. We, that's us. Those that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, He showed mercy on us, that He called us by name and He saved us. God's sovereign hand over our lives. We were different sins, but we were sinners. Saved by grace. Show them that He had mercy on you. We'll close on this. This is really, this, this really is important. Verse 20. And so the demoniac, the guy with 6,000 demons in him, no longer healthy, happy. Jesus says, you stay, you don't go with us. And he, the, the no longer demon-possessed man, he, he went away. And he began to proclaim in the Decapolis. You know what that is? Ten cities. On the Gentile side of the lake, the Decapolis, where there were ten major cities there. And this demon-possessed man is now a missionary. No longer what he was. He's a missionary to these ten cities. And don't have time to go into today, but a study on how bad these cities were. And this is this is like the beginning of the, the Marxism is like the uh, the inauguration of missions to all nations. This is, you know, this is Matthew Twain says, when you go out, go out in the world and tell everybody about me. This man went out in the world and he went to the ten cities of the Decapolis and he began to preach Christ. He began to tell the story of what Jesus did for me. And we all have that story. What Jesus did for me. I know what Jesus did for Jan and I know what Jesus did for Martin, but I really know what Jesus did for me. He saved this Irish Catholic kid. He, 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 he reached down to a seven-year-old boy and said, Look up uh, up here. I'm calling you at seven. Why me? Why you? Because you have someone in your life like this. Not as bad, but someone outside the faith. Someone outside looking in saying, I, I don't have time, I'm comfortable. And, and we, you know, I, I don't like to keep guilt and, and works on top of everything. But, but we as Christians, we've been saved out of something. We need to go back and report to them the good things that the Lord has done for us. This man, he went out and he, he went to the Decapolis and he was telling everybody what? What Jesus told him, what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. He wasn't anything special. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't, he certainly wasn't some great theological student. Right? Jesus healed him, told him to go. He went and he told him what? What Jesus did for him. He didn't tell him some big, long theological dissertation. He said, this is in reality what Jesus did for me. And that was the beginning of Mark sitting out there and saying, this is the gospel reaching into the world. My takeaways. We had a close call last night on the takeaways. Mac computers and me don't get along. And I couldn't read my own handwriting. And I've been two hours on this. <laughs> so you're gonna listen to it. <laughs> These are my takeaways. I hope hope we get out of this. When you see in passages like this, do you fear or do you see encouragement? In your life, when you come across something tough, 
you see fear or do you see encouragement? I pray you see encouragement too. Jesus has what? He has authority over it all. He calmed the sea, made it glass, got to the other side, saved a pretty wicked guy. Don't live in fear. Don't live in anxiety. Don't live in worry. Because I, I know you, you don't have anything in your life as bad as this guy did. Third one, the demons have fear because of their belief. They know who Jesus is. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe. And they shudder. That's why he bowed down in, in ador or not adoration, in submission. It's just a timid coming down before him. Jesus has the authority to crush him. Jesus has the authority to crush us. Don't live in fear. He won't crush. He came seeking those that he could save. That's us. Fourth, we sometimes are the opposite. We often fear because of our unbelief. They feared that demons feared because of their belief. They understood what they were up against. Sometimes we don't fear because of our unbelief. Jesus is the Son of God with all authority over disease and disaster and demons and turmoil in this world. All of it. That doesn't mean that everybody's got get cancer is going to be cured of it. That doesn't mean everybody that financially broke is going to be rich tomorrow. It just means you're not going to be there alone. He's got the power for all that. You know, just crossed my mind, I'm leaving Wednesday. Think about me this week, pray for me. I'm going to the Cancer Institutes of America in Phoenix. Um, they have a program for pastors to minister to those with cancer. And so I'm excited about that. I can't wait to get over there and do that. Pray for me on that one, because uh, there's another thing coming up in my life, too, that uh, I would really appreciate pr prayer, because there's a door opening in my life. Uh, the empty nest thing I was talking about, kid's gone. I've got the opportunity to go back and get my master's, and I am so excited about that. I can't even begin to tell you. Uh, it's been a lifelong dream, but there's a little thing in the way, and I've got to work that out. And uh, now. God's got to work it out. I, every time I work it out, I mess it up. So she said, just pray. So I'll fill you in as that process happens, but I'm excited about that, uh, going for a master's in theology, so I'm excited about it. Fifth thing, Jesus is sovereign, and his power gives us reason to be the most secure people in the world. Not based on our strength, not based on my ability to hang on to him, but on his sovereign grace hanging on to me. We are... We have the most secure. When this world, when we look around and we see the craziness going on in this world, we're in, we're in the midst of the crazy, and it's happening all around us, but we're secure in His hands. He's not going to let us go. So in closing, we should respond in four ways. Let us trust wholeheartedly in Jesus' authority. Let us rest wholeheartedly in Jesus' authority. Let us submit wholeheartedly in Jesus' authority. And let us rejoice wholeheartedly in Jesus' authority. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this passage, this text, Lord, that we can see just how powerful you are, that we can see your reach. We can see that there's no bounds that you can't cross. Lord, give us the internal security to know that you are in control this week. And Lord, when we come across passages like this that are just difficult, that you give us joy coming out of this, that we can see there's hope through this, that we know that your sovereign grace is in control, Lord. We love you, and it's in your precious name I pray.
Amen.